You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. You know, we're in the middle of a series uh, we're calling the Modern Family, God's Vision for the Blueprint of Marriage. Notice the banners on either side of the stage. We've had some comments about those banners. That family looks very white, very together. They're all smiling. We know that's not the way it always is. We know that's not the way it is. And so we want to speak into that. And so today we've invited Dave and Hollis Wenzel. And you guys can go ahead and come on up. Dave and Hollis, are, I first met them through seminary, uh, sat in Dave's classes, and then now we have got to know each other quite well. They participate in counseling, uh, me and you, and um, I've, I'm just overwhelmed. It's so great to see you guys. I spent a lot of time in a Hood to Coast van with these folks, and you really get to know people when you're sweaty. <laughs> but I do know one thing. When Dave and Hollis speak... I listen. And so I encourage you to listen as they speak today. Thanks, guys. Welcome. If you've been around Grace for a while, you know that Jerry Smith has a signature smile. And as I was getting to know him, I'm like, is this for real or is this just one of those Christian guys that's smiling all the time? So I decided to put it to the test, and I invited him to join our Hood to Coast team. And so I gave him, he didn't know, he's like, when am I running? So I gave him the worst set of legs. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Hood to Coast, it's where you and 11 of your like-minded friends uh, start at Mount Hood and run to the ocean. It's 199 miles. You take turns running. And he had the worst set. The first set ended on a three-mile uphill in the heat of the day. He ran again at night. And then the last leg was out in the mountains, and it ends again on a three-mile uphill. And so I was waiting at the top of the hill, and let's see if he's going to be smiling now when he comes to the top of the hill. And here he came around the turn, and he's running up the hill, big smile on his face. He goes, this is awesome. I met a bunch of new people on the way up the hill here. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so I'm Dave Wenzel, uh, professor at Western Seminary and a counselor in Sandy uh, with my wife, Hollis, where we... Uh, operate River Ridge Counseling. I put the website uh, up here for you. I've uploaded a PDF of the slides that you're going to be looking at this morning for those of you that may want to revisit those later. Uh, We thought one of the best ways to deliver a message on blended families was to do a blended message. All right. So um, I became a therapist 24 years ago. I became a a wife and a mother in a blended family eight years ago after both of our spouses had passed away. And um, I think uh, being a therapist is an opportunity and a blessing for me to be a bear witness to people's pain and suffering on a daily basis, but also to be with people as they have hope restored and healing. So we uh, lost our spouses in 2005. Uh, We did not know each other. We actually uh, met when we both took our kids to the same counseling center for grief recovery. Uh, And about a year later, uh, we uh, got permission from our group leader to go out on a date, and then we uh, later got married. So when we got married, we had kids 
that were ranging from 6 to 21. Uh, currently, they are now 15 to 29. So we've had eight years to work at the blended family. Uh, we thought we're both counselors, uh, so we know what's going on. And Hollis uh, likes to tell the story that uh, while we were dating, we were driving in the car, and she was thinking a little more realistically than I was. I was in love. Uh, rationale gone. Uh, and she said, so you have four kids, and I have two, and four plus two equals six. And she says that I turned to her and said, hey, we're both professional counselors. Bring it on. <laughs> I have been greatly humbled uh, <laughs> since then. Uh, and I think this morning we can tell you that in, um, in our lives, we deal with many different things. Uh, since we've been married, uh, we went through two years with Hollis battling cancer. Uh, we've had other health issues. We've had uh, child accidents. Uh, my biological children uh, brought in a accident proneness. Uh, it's so bad that our son broke his collarbone this summer, and when I got him down to the emergency room at Kaiser, it was really broken, too. It was one of those things where you don't want to look at it. We were sitting in the waiting room, and the nurse came out, and she was looking around for the next patient, and she looked at my son, and she said, you again here? They know us, they know us that well. Uh, so in all these things that we've dealt with, I think we can safely say that becoming a blended family has probably been one of the most difficult things uh, that we've dealt with, both blending in our marriage, uh, but also blending with children. Uh, and we are here today to kind of talk about the fact that blended families are a very common, uh, as you're well aware, are a very common dynamic in today's culture. They're so common that uh, they, the U.S. Census Bureau actually stopped counting in 1990. Uh, it got too complicated, all the different configurations. So they stopped counting uh, blended families. In 2000, blended families actually exceeded biological families. Um, in Across the United States, uh, the rate of first divorces is probably around 36%. Um, here in Clackamas County, it's considerably higher. It's around 50%. Of those, 75% go on to get remarried, and unfortunately, in the second marriage, 66% of those marriages fail. If the person goes on to have a third marriage, the rate of failure is 80%. The things that mitigate that are premarital counseling, kind of getting everything on the table and talking about those things that might come up, and community and support. So today's world, uh, when you say blended family, uh, one of, of course, one of the terms is step families. And one of the things we wanted to just mention was how step families are portrayed in today's media. So there's been a series of um, very negative portrayals. Uh, certainly, I didn't want to step into the role of being a stepmother. Um, following movies uh, that uh, actually talked about stepfather, um, stepmother, stepfather two, <laughs> stepbrothers, step, my stepson, my lover. Um, as you can imagine, uh, my stepmother is an alien. Uh, so a lot of very negative portrayals um, and culminating with the one we all know, which is Cinderella 
and um, this the child being mistreated as a result of being a stepchild. Those names and labels are constantly in transition, and if you're like me, you probably have a hard time keeping up with what's the most appropriate uh, current label. I came up with a new one while we were preparing. I hadn't heard it before. Uh, blended families now now called binuclear, B-I in the nuclear, playing off the nuclear family. Binuclear actually sounds rather explosive, which is actually a pretty good name uh, for <laughs> blended families. Blended families are so common that Hollis and I uh, actually think of ourselves as a family and the rest of you as non-blended families. Uh, the, the blended family, there, there really isn't uh, explicit scriptural teachings for what we're referring to as blended families or step families. However, uh, for those of you that are familiar with the biblical teachings and the Jewish nation, uh, the coming of Christ, and the adoption of the Gentiles into the family of God, you know that the family of God is actually very much so a blended family. The Jewish nation had to make room, if you will, for <clears throat> excuse me, for the adopted children. And if you go through and read in the Greek scriptures, uh, you'll, you'll see quickly that that adoption uh, did not always go smoothly. And in Ephesians 3.6, the writer said to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that phrase right there, our fellow heirs, is suggestive of the picture that we have of an attorney uh, reading a will, and you have the chosen child sitting there with the adopted child. And it's at that moment right there that the full implication of equality uh, really hits the road as the chosen child hears that the adopted child is in fact equal with rights to the blessings of the family. And in dealing with that concept of, I uh, use the word equality, but of family, of sameness, there are some things that we're going to talk about this morning that come up in us at that moment as we move into this blended family situation. Uh, just three of them are favoritism, uh, the original family, if you will. And, and I want you to keep in mind, when we talk about blended families, Hollis has an original family, and I have an original family, and that's the way her kids see her and the two uh, biological children there, and then my kids the same way, and then we have now this family. Uh, so the original family depends on your point of view, and the original family uh, will feel favoritism towards each other. Issues of fairness, uh, and we'll talk about fairness, and we actually don't try, I'll just foreshadow, we try not to be fair, I'll say more about that, and, and bias. So by definition, um, when you find yourself in a blended family, that means that something went wrong. Blended families do not happen when things are going right. What we find is that there's divorce, death, desertion, health issues, accidents, neglect, substance abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Something went wrong in order for a blended family to come into being. However, uh, this, uh, this comes after, keep in mind, we're, um, I'm 56. Six. No, I'm not. I'm 55. No, I'm 55. No, no. you're right. You're 56. Yeah. 
I, I know that because my birthday's next. <laughs> so I don't want to be 56. Next week. His birthday's next week. Here's my point. Here we are in midlife, and here's what I've discovered, and I wished I had known this 30 years ago. Uh, in, in, when push comes to shove, something always goes wrong. Uh, and, and when I say wrong, I mean it, it, there's a break away from whatever the ideal is. We have these ideals that we bring to life about... Uh, certainly about our vocational world, about perhaps our finances, but one of those ideals is certainly about family and what our family is going to look like and, and perhaps hoping that there's that many smiles that you see there on the banners of the modern family. But what we have found, uh, both personally and professionally as we've worked in the counseling office, is that non-blended families also face, uh, and I would even use the word surprisingly similar issues. In other words, whether it's a biological family or a blended family, families deal with isolation, uh, rejection, hurt. Uh, favoritism actually is something that has worked its way into the professional literature in our field. Uh, you may recall, if you saw it, about a year ago, Time Magazine did a feature uh, article on favoritism in the family. And the researchers found very quickly that in any family, uh, blended or non-blended, that if you interview the children, they can very quickly tell you which child is the favorite child, uh, which child is the black sheep, and that everyone in the family system actually knows about it. Now, I'll tell you a difference between blended and non-blended families. In non-blended families, the favoritism is present and everyone knows about it, but they don't really talk about it that much. In blended families, we end up talking about it all the time uh, because your kids are very quick to point it out to you. Uh, so the problems that we deal with in blended and non-blended families are actually very similar, uh, whether those be any of the, the dynamics that you're seeing on the screen there or uh, behavioral problems amongst children. Hollis and I have to look at each other on a regular basis. Uh, when something's happened like what we've been through, there's a tendency whenever a problem comes up to blame it on the most obvious thing and to say, well, this is because of this step-family, blended family situation, and we're, we're getting better at reminding each other, wait a second, uh, all families deal with this. And, and to that end, uh, there are a lot of similarities between these two sets of families. And I would even go so far as to say in our field, uh, our professional field, we see all the time that families go through developmental stages just as children do. So the children are going through their devel developmental stages, and with six of them, we have the whole board covered. Um, and the family is going through its developmental stages, as is our marriage. So um, you've got all those pieces on top of each other. The other thing about blended families is that, um, well, in, in a biological family, the three main reasons that uh, families, couples come in to talk to us are differences in opinion about parenting, sex, finances. So those things are absolutely magnified in a non-biological or blended family. Um, custody arrangements are very complicated. Kids' living arrangements, kids are going back and forth on weekends, by the week. Holidays are shared. Um, the financial challenges of keeping both households above, you know, float and um, and able to provide for the kids. Um, we also see, uh, well, all of these things together just create an enormous amount of fodder for for conflict. And when families move towards blended family, I remember years ago. 
uh, working with a family that was becoming blended. And uh, initially, initially, the idea can be one of, of idealizing uh, that this is going to be great and we're going to have this new parent here. And I've, I've tried to uh, warn families that it's not going to, that that idealism is probably, I'll use a strong word here, it's probably going to be shattered fairly quickly uh, in that blended families mean change. Uh, and as much as we want to see ourselves as mature people who invite change in, because of course change means growth, the fact of the matter is, is that as humans we're very tribal and our tribe is the best tribe, is, is what we like to think. And so you have Hollis's tribe and my tribe, and in blending a family, everyone loses a home. Now, as professionals, we strongly recommend that uh, if two people are going to blend families and get married, that they sell both their homes and move into a new home. So, everybody got that? That's what you should do. We did not do that. <laughs> Uh, we did not take our own advice. Uh, for a variety of reasons, when we married, we both had very similar households uh, in terms of all the things that you own as a family. My home had the square footage space and enough bedrooms, and so we decided uh, for Hollis to sell her home and move into my home. And I thought, that's not going to be a problem at all. I'm really... I'm fine with that. Uh, I'm so looking forward to having her there. And uh, to tell you where kids are at sometimes with blended families, my then seven-year-old, when I told him that I was getting married, the first thing he asked me was if she was going to live there. <laughs> well, I, had, uh, I used to be in construction, and my uh, family and I had actually built our home, and I'm fairly pragmatic, and I had painted all of the walls in the home the same color. It was po polar white. Uh, Miller Paint sells it. I thought it was a very pragmatic thing to do. Uh, I had a can of satin paint for the walls and a can of semi-gloss for the trim. That was, that was my entire touch-up paint load for the whole house. I felt quite ready to fix any wall, and along came Hollis. And so a mentor of mine uh, suggested that she, I just turn the house over to her. And so one day, after, shortly after we got married, I told her she had free reign in the house. And I got up, and I was getting ready to go to work. And Hollis, uh, Hollis had taken the first year off of work just to work on blending. So she was primary parent at home during those first 12 months. So she said, what do you think about yellow for the living room? And I thought, well, that's a great idea. Uh, you know, I was thinking we could talk about that. Said goodbye. Literally, <clears throat> when I came into the driveway that night, the painters were picking up the drop cloths, <laughs> and the living room was now yellow with an accent wall. And I didn't even know what accent walls were. <laughs> and now, and I'm not exaggerating, right now I have an entire shelving unit for touch-up paint because we have 20 accent walls, <laughs> and oh, I, I try to label the cans. Change, and change can be hard. Uh, we decided that uh, we were going to merge our kitchen stuff, and so, uh, on the advice of a good friend, we emptied my kitchen. Literally, all the cabinets, all the drawers, everything spread out. Uh, she had all of her boxes. We opened all those up. We spread all those out, and again, I'm thinking, I'm... A mature man and a professional. This should be no problem at all. I'm really not tied to my kitchen stuff. Uh, I had Farberware pans, uh, you know, all the sizes going 
smallest to biggest, matching lids. Hollis uh, likes color, and how something feels is more important than necessarily how it functions. So she had... (laughs) She had a, a set of pans that really felt good. Uh, Some of them were green with red lids that she liked that didn't necessarily fit, uh, but that uh, she liked. And so, gritting my teeth and remembering the words of my mentor, uh, I let my farber wear pants. Yes, yes, dear. Uh, And what, what we discovered was Youth, I, I looked at the kitchen stuff and I thought this should be easy to get rid of. What I discovered was there was a story behind a pot. There was a story behind that this was a, something, there was a family memory attached to. Or this came from, we bought this at this particular time. And, and all of these preparation items actually had a history. We really saw this and one of the things we didn't see coming at all was the children would be attached to these things so there I am with my cookie sheets and my memories and my girls are remembering their cookie sheets with their mother so it was it was one thing after another in terms of the little things throughout our house um, but certainly that day in the kitchen there were tears and there were decisions to make and that happened with absolutely everything from from cars, which cars do you keep, uh, couches, furniture, where you shop, uh, what you eat for dinner. We had our recipes and their recipes for several years before the kids stopped saying, this is my mom's recipe, or this is my mom's recipe. Um, They would sit down at dinner and say, whose recipe is this? And one of the things we're going to be promoting here in a few minutes is, is that the merging of two families takes time. Mm -hmm. We're actually going to use a cooking analogy, and and it takes the crock pot method that cooks all day. It can't be done with microwave. After we did the kitchen thing that I told you about, when my oldest daughter came home, she was away at college. Uh, She, when my wife died, uh, as much as I tried not to, Mm -hmm. she kind of saw herself into the mother's role. So when she came home and the kitchen was completely unfamiliar with regards to where things were, everything was reorganized, it was probably, uh, so we've been married for eight years, it was probably until about two years ago that she stopped mentioning that to us. For five years when she would come home, she would make a point of saying, where's this? Because the where's this was pointing out to us that we had changed things, and change is hard. And what the kids are going to say to you is it doesn't feel fair. Uh, where this family ate and where this family ate to the way this family fixed food and the way this family fixed food, as they're, if you will, forced into changing, they'll say to you that doesn't seem fair. And everything is complicated, including something as simple as taking a family picture. So we were smart enough um, not to try and take wedding pictures with this new blended family. We had kids across the spectrum. Um, my kids ready to take Dave on. He, they just thought he was the most wonderful thing to um, Dave's oldest son saying, absolutely not, you're not going to marry her. I will say, luckily, he has now asked me, He's 25. when he was 25 years old, he asked me to adopt him. And I've adopted him. But at that point, he wanted absolutely nothing to do with having me join the family. So um, so we didn't take wedding pictures then. Uh, 
But you see this picture, this was two and a half years later, and everybody looked so happy. It was Thanksgiving. Um, we have a very good friend who was over and has a professional photographer. I said, this is the time to snap this. There's everybody's home. I said, everybody go get something black on. We're going to take a family photo. The next thing I know, the girls are sitting around the corner sobbing. Um, pretty inconsolable, actually. And, you know, they, they didn't say, we can't take this picture. Uh, but the, especially my two daughters were so grief-stricken. And the reason was this new family portrait. So <laughs> you're looking at a picture where Chuck caught everybody smiling. It was quite literally everybody smiling, snap it quick. Because in between his shots... Uh, was the tears and the, the picture really represented uh, it was one of many representations of the death of the old family and this new family and in that change there's grief and loss it, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a pot or a pan or whether it's a picture or whether it's a different parenting style or whether it's a different meal there's a continual reminder that the ideal is gone whether that's been divorce neglect uh a death that there's a loss that's present and we're having to change and adapt to this new world and in the in the context of that one of the things that we've found extremely helpful is to remind ourselves and our kids that blended families uh, mean opportunity now I don't I don't think I stand in front of them and give them that lecture but it's a it's a paradigm that we think of that we learn new things from each other uh, we actually expand each other's worlds and add uh, new experiences. Uh, Hollis was uh, Hollis is very health conscious, and when we married, uh, this is true. Her kids had never eaten at McDonald's ever. Ever, I told them how awful it was. <laughs> and for them. she let them watch uh, Supersize, uh, if you're familiar with that, that movie. movie. So on an early vacation, uh, we got out of the hotel or whatever. We were driving out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And we, we were hungry for breakfast. And, and there was a McDonald's. I enjoy McDonald's breakfast sandwich. And so I was like, okay, so we're going to, how about everybody, we'll just pull in here and get breakfast sandwiches. And her boys. Burst into tears. Um, he's trying to poison us. <laughs> At, at that point, I learned some, some tolerance in that, uh, you know, any extreme is not healthy. Um, so we, we gave in on that. And, and another example of extremes, um, when we, where we lived, I didn't even let my boys have squirt guns. Um, absolutely no guns in our house, even if they made them out of Legos. No guns. Uh, so we move out to the country, and my then seven-year-old uh, goes over to a friend's house, and he learns how to shoot BB guns. And he comes home. I didn't even know that where we live out in this very rural place, that one of the questions you ask before your kids go over are, do you have guns, and are they in a safe? I didn't know that. So he comes home with this little baggie and a squirrel, a dead squirrel in it. And he is so proud of himself. He is like, Mom, look look what I did. And I am like, my little boy just killed something. So that night I go to tuck him into bed, and he's crying. And he says, Mom, he probably had a wife and children. <laughs> so the, some of the other changes were, of course, my boys and I lived in an urban setting. Uh, we lived in Irvington. My neighbors, my friends were next door. I could run next door and have a cup of coffee. 
my boys had to give up their, we gave up our street that we lived on, our home, our schools, our close friends were not going to see us as often. So this uh, Clackamas County uh, Republican, uh, I, I uh, in a former life, I majored in political science and thought I was going to change the world back in college. I got a job working for a congressman from Los Angeles who uh, won the conservative award called the Watchdog of Congress. I went to Washington and worked for him for a bit. Uh, so this uh, Clackamas County Republican found himself a uh, uh, urban Irvington neighborhood Democrat to marry. <laughs> and I have to tell you that over the years, even though I would consider myself to be, you know, I try to read things and keep up with things, I brought to the table um, some biases and and presuppositions about urban dwelling Democrats. And I can say with complete integrity uh, that probably 85% of those preconceptions that I had were wrong. Uh, and as I've met her friends, uh, we when we got married, we found, uh, we knew one person that knew us both. Uh, it was actually Ron Mars at uh, Western Seminary. And then after that, we found uh, another person that knew us both. But we, when we blended, we blended two different social groups. Uh, and her social group was so supportive of her. When they first met me, I, I got I got grilled. It was like, who are you, and what are you doing, and where do you live, and do you own a four-wheeler and a pickup truck and a shotgun? What's, uh, what's, what's going on here? And I can say I have been so blessed uh, to, be, to develop friends. And in our two friend groups, we've had people become friends. And I can tell you that uh, that has enriched my life, although at times challenging. Uh, so you're probably wondering, well, how do they solve the political thing? Uh, so I do what any good husband should do, uh, and I'll tell you that in a blended family. We figured out if she votes Democrat and I vote Republican, we cancel each other's votes out. And so for president, uh, and this is absolutely true, ever since we've been married, I vote Democratic, uh, and I write in Hollis's name. Uh, so I've, you know, I've run for president several times. Uh, men, vote for your wives for president. It's awesome. Uh, personally and professionally, uh, if you remember back to school, you had science, and then you went to the lab class where you applied what you learned. And personally and professionally, we view the family really as the laboratory for maturity. This is where the rubber hits the road. Uh, I think I can speak for myself here, and I hope perhaps that you can relate to this. Living out my Christian values, trying to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit at work and in public is fairly easy compared to at home. Uh, at work, I clock in. I'm kind and gracious to the students and so forth and clients. And when I come home, I'm exhausted and tired, and I walk through the door and inevitably, uh, the other day I walked through the door and one of the teenagers hit me with a request. I was still standing there, uh, briefcase and bags in hand, and there was no, you know, thank you for working so hard for us today and so forth. <laughs> uh, it was a request for $250, and I was, <laughs> I was just coming into the kitchen. So this is where, in the family, uh, this is where we are challenged to really put our belief system uh, in, in action. And we think of maturity as the consistency between how we behave and the things that we profess. 
I also just wanted to go back for a minute because I forgot to say this, that um, having two different perspectives blended together uh, give us very interesting dinner conversations. And, um, and that's been really healthy, not just for us, but for our kids. And we are teaching and learning tolerance um, and patience and kindness and respect um, because we listen to each other's point of views um, at the dinner table. Uh, three things that we um, that we like to promote in all families and uh, is fidelity, uh, being faithful to one another, not just as a spouse, um, but as a parent and as a sibling. Uh, responsibility, taking care of our mess. This is especially important in a family of eight. Um, and benevolence, practicing Christian maturity. The the benevolence piece and these three things these. It, just forget blended or non-blended this is what uh, kids need to learn in a family and this is what adults need to practice with each other and to make it a little bit more specific we parent with five goals in mind and the family provides the absolute perfect lab for that Uh, being grateful versus being entitled Uh, as the kids came into the family it meant sacrifice we were literally as she was moving in Uh, one of our kids was getting ready to launch for college and we were emptying a bedroom and moving stuff into a bedroom at the same time. And that child that was leaving who had thought maybe we'd leave his room as a shrine to him uh, to honor him was watching, uh, quite literally, was watching his stuff go into storage, what, whatever he left with us, as his new younger brother was taking over his bedroom space. And then when he came home, from college, uh, his bedroom was gone, and he was, you know, he was sleeping on the floor. So it is the gratefulness uh, versus entitlement, uh, being able to feel empathy for each other as opposed to hostility, and as you're well aware, uh, family provides lots of room for conflict, and we, we, I cannot even begin to tell you how many hours we have spent refereeing over Legos. Uh, Anna, I want you to know we had more Legos than Fred Meyer currently has on their shelves. And it didn't matter. There was this piece right here that went with that set over there that was mine. And they would be downstairs uh, battling over these things. Tolerance uh, versus prejudging or bias. Uh, Being generous. We've had the blessing of watching our youngest two uh, who are were young enough that they really don't have memories of their uh, their biological mom and dad. Uh, they have become like true brothers. They fight like brothers, but they're also generous with each other like brothers, and we've seen them giving things to each other and then practicing compassion versus indifference. All right, so one of the things that we deal with is battling favoritism, and I think Dave actually addressed that already, that there's favoritism in a biological family, Um, certainly that favoritism comes along the lines of those biological connections to your bio kids as opposed to your your new extended family. Um, Dealing with fairness, this is one piece that we have both did with our children before we came together, and we do it even more now, which is life isn't fair. Each of you is different, and we're going to treat you uh, differently to adjust for that. Can I say something? Mm -hmm. So what we do, I said earlier, we don't try to be fair, and we tell the kids outright, we are making no attempt to be fair. However, we will do right by you. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what we say to them. 
I'm, I'm not going to compare you to the other kids. However, as a parental unit, we will always do right by you. Okay, and patience. Um, and patience actually really comes into play in bringing together a blended family. We tell clients that we work with that it takes about five years for a blended family to come together. Um, we thought that would go quicker with us because, you know, we're professionals. Um, but as seen by that picture, after two and a half years, there were tears. Um, let's see, after, I'm trying to think uh, the next story. Um, well, uh, Peter, Peter, who was dead set against us, uh, and actually, some of you know Gary Bashir is here. Gary married us. He actually went to Gary to try and block the Put whole the thing. Put the block. Uh, and uh, uh, so at the six-year mark, uh, that same child then came to Hollis and requested that she adopt him legally. And I want you to understand the full implications of this. In Oregon, when a child is adopted, the biological's mother mother's name is removed from the birth certificate, and they issue a new birth certificate. So uh, we had a process that we went through with our attorney where Hollis adopted Peter. Now, he's an adult, and it's partially symbolic, but that's what it's all about. It's all symbolic. Mm-hmm. Now, this created a stir for the other kids, uh, especially his two sisters, as they were you know, saying, are you forgetting mom or are you erasing her? So those are the kinds of things you deal with. These big four things here, uh, favoritism, fairness, becoming one from broken parts and patience. We wanted to, as we end here, we wanted to give you some what we call pro tips uh, for dealing with these things. And I think these things apply to both blended and non-blended families. Uh, the first pro tip, if you will, is, is directed to uh, blended families. And that is, you really have to take the crock pot method, which is it's going to take all day to cook this thing. Uh, we're going to mention pressure cooker moments in just a minute because we do use those. But you want to avoid the idea of the microwave that this is going to happen quickly. Uh, you know, the microwave, you go into the store, that microwave box always looks so tasty. The picture that's on the cover, and then you take it home and you put it in there and you microwave and you take it out and you hold up the box. It doesn't look the same. Microwaving families does not, has the same thing. It doesn't really work very well. And so what we're, what we're saying is, is that it really is at the five-year mark uh, that kids begin to refer to each other uh, truly as brother and sister and as parents. And, the, and I, let me illustrate here. The slow cooker dad does not respond when his non-biological teenage son looks at him and says, you're not my real father. The slow cooker crockpot dad knows that this is part of the process and gives the children space to go through that process themselves. Um, and, and in terms of pressure cooking... <laughs> Um, one of the things uh, that we've learned is, of course, spending time together helps families blend, um, doing chores together, projects, building things together. We've done a lot of that. Um, one of the first opportunities that we took to to kind of force the, the family together was we took the kids backpacking. I know it sounds insane. We actually did this the first summer we were married. So at the it time, they like ranged from... Idea. The youngest was seven years old. He could bar- barely carry his toys. And we went to, um, to Glacier National Park where they had the largest infestation of mosquitoes I have ever seen in my life. Now, and nobody, nobody mentioned this to us. They made us watch the bear movie. We got a permit. Uh, we were at the, the Trailhead Departure Center. Nobody said a thing, thing. about mosquitoes. 
it was so bad that when we stopped to have a glass of water, we had to be in pairs and we had to swat the mosquitoes off of each other. And at the end of the trip, the kids counted... Over 180 mosquito bites on them. On each one of them. I Pressure mean, cooker just... moment. Uh, you're not biological. Everybody had to have a buddy because when you stopped, you were slapping mosquitoes. And so they had non-biological buddies and they were slapping each other. <laughs> And they were problem-solving. So we get at 13 miles, we chose to do. I don't know what we were thinking. And we got about five miles that first day, uh, us and the mosquitoes. And so we're all in our tents hovering as we're watching these swarms of mosquitoes. And Dave and I are like, we're turning around tomorrow. This is crazy. We actually decided we're, yeah. we're packing up and sprinting for the parking lot. <laughs> and the kids got together in a different tent, and they were talking. And they came back to us, and they said, no, we're finishing this. And that was the beginning of them feeling really connected to each other, that problem-solving um, that, that problem solving piece. Road trips are, are good and photographs. So um, as many photographs as we could, Dave, every Christmas puts those all together. And, um, and so now when the kids are home and those are sitting out and they flip through them, they see themselves together. Um, so they're starting to, we're creating family memories. And, and the hard copy is intentional. I know it's a digital age and you may have a thing that can display your photos at home. I do the hard copy albums intentionally. Uh, they're by the year. They're sitting in the living room. And at this last Christmas was our seventh together. Mm-hmm. Seven years. And it happened this Christmas for the first time. And it was the moment I was waiting for. And during down times, the kids were pulling out the albums telling stories. Uh, and they were recounting this. And they were recounting that. And the blended family narrative now was developing. So the, 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 one of the big things, this slide should actually just have the word talk in like 200 font. Uh, we, we try to keep the kids talking, talking, talking. Uh, we drove the boys nuts uh, over the last seven years with family meetings. Uh, when, we, when we say we're having a family meeting, you get the eye rolls and into the living room. Uh, and we conduct those so that they each have a chance to complain to us about things. We invite that. Uh, we promote conversations over doing the dishes. Things get said in the front seat of the car that sometimes can't get said eye to eye. Hollis came up with a great idea, which was she banned all electronics in the shotgun seat in the car. So the teenage boys come springing out for the car, yelling shotgun, that's fine, no phone, no iPod, no Nintendo, no nothing. So you're sitting there in silence. Uh, Sit with that silence. You can sit in silence for an hour and then something will get said. Uh, Get the kids talking while you listen. The other piece that I want to just make sure that I, I mention is no triangulation. So kids, the bio kids will come to the bio parent um, and complain about the other kids or the other parent. Um, you have to redirect them. Absolutely no triangulation. If one of my kids is um, complaining about Dave, I have to redirect them to Dave. If they're complaining about one of the other kids, I have to redirect them to that, to that child to work it out. We've had to believe in each other. Uh, when I see Hollis parenting my kids, they listen to those words, in a way that I would not, and they're having conflict, and then my child comes to me to complain to me, and I'm kind of thinking, yeah, you're right. Mouth shut and say, you know, if you have a problem with Hollis, you need to go talk to her about that. Uh, so you redirect conflicting parties back to themselves, believing that they can work it out. Now, set up for success, I'll just use one illustration. Uh, my, uh, my 
she was middle daughter or whatever. She was about 14. She wanted multiple earring piercings and she wanted a nose piercing. And so what I did was she had one earring on each side. What I did was I said, no way, not over my dead body. This is not going to happen. People will think you're using drugs, all those kinds of things. Then I pulled Hollis into the bedroom and I said, so here's the deal. Here's what she wants. What I want you to do is go back out there and say to her, you know, I know your dad was really being hard and harsh right there. I talked to him, I got him calmed down, and I talked him into letting you do the multiple earring piercings, but not the nose. <laughs> Esther, I don't think, knows this. <laughs> uh, Hollis came off looking like the winner in this situation, uh, and the two of them went off together and had, you know, this girl's day where she got the piercings and some new earrings. And really the point is here that uh, out of, you know, when I saw them go off together, out of brokenness um, and, and broken parts can come healing. And I want to show you a clip here um, from an unlikely movie, perhaps. It's Lilo and Stitch. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, Stitch was a little alien that behaved really badly and got banished from his planet. So he was rocketed off into space and he landed on Earth. Uh, and he landed in Hawaii and he uh, went around causing problems, and he joined up with a uh, broken family. It was two young girls whose parents had died, and the older girl was trying to parent her younger sister. And they took Stitch uh, into their home, and this little clip here comes right at the end of the movie. Can Stitch say goodbye? Yes. Thank you. Who are you? This is my family. I found it all on my own. It's little and broken, but still good. Yeah, still good. The challenge for each one of us uh, is when you're asked who you are, is to state that identity. Uh, and in terms of family, to be able to say, this is our family. And whether blended or non-blended, ultimately the challenge for each one of us is to find, just what Stitch said right there, is to find goodness in the brokenness. And you know, that's the irony of the gospel, which is healing comes from broken parts and death. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.